Section thirty nine of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume three, by James Boswell, Section thirty nine. To Dr. Samuel Johnson. Edinburgh, June eighteenth, seventeen seventy eight. My dear sir, since my return to Scotland, I have been again at Lanark, and have had more conversation with Thompson's sister. It is strange that Murdoch, who was his intimate friend, should have mistaken his mother's maiden name, which he says was Hume, whereas Hume was the name of his grandmother by the mother's side. His mother's name was Beatrix Trotter a daughter of Mr. Trotter of Bogo, a small proprietor of land. Thompson had one brother, whom he had with him in England as his amanuensis, but he was seized with a consumption, and having returned to Scotland, to try what his native air would do for him, died young. He had three sisters, one married to Mr. Bell, minister of the parish of Streven, one to Mr. Craig, father of the ingenious architect, who gave the plan of the new town of Edinburgh, and one to Mr. Thompson, master of the grammar school at Lanark. He was of a humane and benevolent disposition, not only sent valuable presents to his sisters, but a yearly allowance in money, and was always wishing to have it in his power to do them more good. Lord Littleton's observation, that he loathed it much to write, was very true. His letters to his sister, Mrs. Thompson, were not frequent, and in one of them he says, All my friends who know me know how backward I am to write letters, and never impute the negligence of my hand to the coldness of my heart. I send you a copy of the last letter which she had from him. She never heard that he had any intention of going into holy orders. From this late interview with his sister, I think much more favorably of him, as I hope you will. I am eager to see more of your prefaces to the poets. I solace myself with a few proof-sheets which I have. I sent another parcel of Lord Halley's annals, which you will please to return to me as soon as you conveniently can. He says he wishes you cut a little deeper, but he may be proud that there is so little occasion to use the critical knife. I ever am, my dear sir. Your faithful and affectionate, humble servant, James Boswell Mr. Langton has been pleased, at my request, to favor me with some particulars of Dr. Johnson's visit to Worley Camp, where this gentleman was at the time stationed as a captain in the Lincolnshire Militia. Footnote. May 31, 1778. We shall at least not doze, as we are used to do, in summer. The Parliament is to have only shore adjournments, and our senators, instead of retiring to horse races, their plough, are all turned soldiers, and disciplining militia, camps everywhere. It was a threat of invasion by the united forces of France and Spain, at the time that we were at war with America, that caused the alarm. Dr. J. H. Burton points out that while the militia of England was placed nearly in its present position by the Act of 1757, yet when a proposal for extending the system to Scotland was suggested, sick, Ministers were afraid to arm the people. It is curious, he continues, that for a reason almost identical, 
island has been accepted from the volunteer organization of a century later. It was not until 1793 that the militia acts were extended to Scotland. End of footnote. I shall give them in his own words in a letter to me. It was in the summer of the year 1778. Footnote. Before dinner, wrote Miss Burney in September of this year, to my great joy, Dr. Johnson returned home from Raleigh Common. He wrote to Mrs. Thrall on October 15th, A camp, however familiarly we may speak of it, is one of the great scenes of human life. War and peace divide the business of the world. Camps are the habitations of those who conquer kingdoms or defend them. End of footnote that he complied with my invitation to come down to the camp at Burley, and he stayed with me about a week. The scene appeared, notwithstanding a great degree of ill-health that he seemed to labor under, to interest and amuse him, as agreeing with the disposition that I believe you know he constantly manifested towards inquiring into subjects of the military kind. He said, with a patient degree of attention, to observe the proceedings of a regimental court-martial, but happened to be called in the time of his stay with us, and one night, as late as at eleven o'clock, he accompanied the major of the regiment, in going what I styled the rounds, where he might observe the forms of visiting the guards, for the seeing that they and their sentries are ready in their duty on their several posts. He took occasion to converse at times on military topics, one in particular, that I see the mention of in your journal of a tour to the Hebrides, which lies open before me, as to gunpowder, which he spoke of to the same effect, in part, that you relate. On one occasion, when the regiment were going through their exercise, he went quite close to the man at one of the extremities of it, and watched all their practices attentively. And when he came away, his remark was, the men indeed do load their muskets and fire with wonderful celerity. He was likewise particular in requiring to know what was the weight of the musket balls in use, and within what distance they might be expected to take effect when fired off. In walking among the tents, and observing the difference between those of the officers and private men, he said that the superiority of accommodation of the better conditions of life to that of the inferior ones was never exhibited to him in so distinct a view. The civilities paid to him in the camp war, from the gentlemen of the Lincolnshire Regiment, one of the officers of which accommodated him with a tent in which he slept, and from General Hall, who very courteously invited him to dine with him, where he appeared to be very well pleased with his entertainment, and the civilities he received on the part of the general, the attention likewise of the general's aide-de-camp, Captain Smith, seemed to be very welcome to him as appear by their engaging in a great deal of discourse together. Footnote. When I one day at court expressed to General Hall my sense of the honor he had done my friend, he politely answered, Sir, I did myself honor. Boswell. End of footnote. The gentleman of the East York Regiment, likewise on being informed of his coming, solicited his company at dinner, but by that time he had fixed his departure so that he could not comply with the invitation. To James Boswell, Esquire. Dear Sir, I have received two letters from you, of which the second complains of the neglect shown to the first. You must not tie your friends to such punctual correspondence. You have all possible assurances of my affection and esteem, 
and there ought to be no need of reiterated professions. When it may happen that I can give you either counsel or comfort, I hope it will never happen to me that I should neglect you. But you must not think me criminal or cold if I say nothing when I have nothing to say. You are now happy enough. Mrs. Boswell is recovered, and I congratulate you upon the probability of a long life. If general approbation will add anything to your enjoyment, I can tell you that I have heard you mentioned as a man whom everybody likes. I think life has little more to give. Footnote. According to Malone, Mr. Burke said of Mr. Boswell that good nature was so natural to him that he had no merit in possessing it, and that a man might as well assume to himself merit in possessing an excellent constitution. End of footnote. Blank has gone to his regiment. Footnote. Langton. End of footnote. He has laid down his coach and talks of making more contractions of his expense. How he will succeed I know not. It is difficult to reform a household gradually. It may be better done by a system totally new. I am afraid he has always something to hide. When we pressed him to go to... Footnote. No doubt his house at Langton. End of footnote. He objected to necessity of attending his navigation, yet... He could talk of going to Aberdeen, a place not much nearer his navigation. Footnote. The Way Canal. From navigation, for an example, a canal for internal navigation, we have navy. A canal was the common term for an ornamental pool, and for a time it seemed that navigation and not canal might be the term applied to artificial rivers. End of footnote. I believe he cannot bear the thought of living at. Footnote. Langton, end of footnote, in a state of diminution, and of appearing among the gentlemen of the neighborhood shorn of his beams. Footnote, he plunging downward, shot his radiant head, dispelled the breathing air that broke his flight, shorn of his beams a man to mortal sight, Dryden, quoted in Johnson's Dictionary, under shorn, the phrase first appears in Paradise Lost, end of footnote. This is natural, but it is cowardly. What I told him of the increasing expense of a growing family seems to have struck him. He certainly had gone on with very confused views, and we have, I think, shown him that he is wrong, though, with the common deficiency of advisers, we have not shown him how to do right. Footnote. Mrs. Thrall, this same summer, asked whether Mr. Langton took any better care of his affairs. No, madame, cried the doctor, and never will. He complains of the ill effects of habit, and rests contentedly upon a confessed indolence. He told his father himself that he had a no turn to economy, but a thief might as well plead that he had no turn to honesty. End of footnote. I wish you would a little correct or restrain your imagination, and imagine that happiness such as life emits may be had at other places as well as London. Without asserting stoicism, it may be said, that it is our business to exempt ourselves as much as we can from the power of external things. There is but one solid basis of happiness, and that is the reasonable hope of a happy futurity. This may be had everywhere. Footnote. Locke, in his last words to Collins, said, This world affords no solid satisfaction but the consciousness of well-doing and the hopes of another life. End of footnote.
I do not blame your preference of London to other places, for it is really to be preferred if the choice is free, but few have the choice of their place or their manner of life. A mere pleasure ought not to be the prime motive of action. Mrs. Thrall, poor thing, has a daughter. Footnote. Not the young brewer who was hoped for. Therefore she is called poor thing. One of Mr. Thrall's daughters lived to November 5, 1858. End of footnote. Mr. Thrall dislikes the times like the rest of us. Footnote. On October 15th, Johnson wrote, Is my master come to himself? Does talk and walk and look about him, as if there were yet something in the world for which it is worth while to leave? Or does he yet sit and say nothing? To grieve for evils is often wrong, but it is much more wrong to grieve without him. Nine days later, he wrote, you appear to me to be now floating on the spring-tide of prosperity. I think it very probable in your power to lay up eight thousand pounds a year for every year to come, increasing all the time, what needs not be increased, the splendor of all external appearance. And surely such a state is not to be put into yearly hazard for the pleasure of keeping the house full or the ambition of operating with bread. End of footnote. Mrs. Williams is sick. Mrs. Desmolins is poor. I have miserable nights. Nobody is well but Mr. Levitt. I am, dear sir, your most, and etc. Sam Johnson. London, July 3rd, 1778. In the course of this year, there was a difference between him and his friend Mr. Stratton, the particulars of which it is unnecessary to relate. Footnote. The following letter, of which a facsimile is given at the beginning of Volume 3, of Dr. Franklin's memoirs, tells of a difference between the famous printer of Philadelphia and the King's printer of London. Philada, July 5, 1775. Mr. Strahan, you are a member of Parliament and one of the majority which has doomed my country to destruction. You have begun to burn our towns and murder our people. Look upon your hands. They are stained with the blood of your relations. You and I were long friends. You are now my enemy, and I am yours, B. Franklin. When peace was made between the two countries, the old friendship was renewed. End of footnote. Their reconciliation was communicated to me in a letter from Mr. Strahan in the following words. The notes I show you that passed between him and me were dated in March last. The matter lay dormant till July 27th, when he wrote to me as follows. Footnote. On this day, he wrote a touching letter to Mr. Elphinstone, who had lost his wife. Perhaps the thoughts thus raised in him led him to this act of reconciliation. End of footnote. To William Strahan, Esquire. Sir, it would be very foolish for us to continue strangers any longer. You can never by persistency make wrong right. If I resent it too acrimoniously, I resent it only to yourself. Nobody ever saw or heard what I wrote. You saw that my anger was over, for in a day or two I came to your house. I have given you longer time, and I hope you have made so good use of it, as to be no longer on evil terms with, sir. Yours, etc., Sam Johnson. On this I called upon him, and he has since dined with me. After this time, the same friendship as formerly continued between Dr. Johnson and Mr. Strahan. My friend mentioned to me a little circumstance of his attention, which, though we may smile at it, must be allowed to have its foundation in a nice and true knowledge of a human life. 
"'When I write to Scotland,' said he, "'I employ Strahan to frank my letters, "'that he may have the consequence "'of appearing a parliament man among his countrymen. "'To Captain Langton, Raleigh Camp.'" Footnote. Dr. Johnson here addresses his worthy friend, Bennett Langton, Esquire, by his title as Captain of the Lincolnshire Militia, in which he has since been most deservedly raised to the rank of Major. Boswell. End of footnote. Dear Sir, when I recollect how long ago I was received with so much kindness at Raleigh Common, I am ashamed that I have not made some inquiries after my friends. Pray, how many ship-stealers did you convict, and how did you punish them? When are you to be cantoned in better habitations? The air grows cold, and the ground damp. Longer stay in the camp cannot be without much danger to the health of the common man, if even the officers can escape. You see that Dr. Percy is now Dean of Carlisle, about five hundred a year, with the power of presenting himself to some good living. He is provided for. The session of the club is to commence with that of the Parliament. Mr. Banks desires to be admitted. He'll be a very honorable accession. Did the king please you? The Coxheath men, I think, have some reason to complain. Reynold says your camp is better than theirs. Footnote. He visited Coxheath camp on November 23rd. Grace Walpole, writing of April of this year when, in the alarm of a French invasion, the militia were called out, says, The king's behavior was childish and absurd. He ordered a camp equipage and said he would command the army himself. Walpole continues, It is reported that in a few days will be published in two volumes folio an accurate account of His Majesty's journeys to Chatham and Portsmouth, together with a minute description of his numerous fatigues, dangers, and hairbreadth escapes, to which will be added the royal bombos, and the following week will be published an history of all the campaigns of the King of Prussia in one volume duodecimo. End of footnote. I hope you find yourself able to encounter this weather. Take care of your own health, and as you can, of your men. Be pleased to make my compliments to all the gentlemen whose notice I have had, and whose kindness I have experienced. I am, dear sir, your most humble servant, Sam Johnson, October thirty-first, 1778. I wrote to him on the 18th of August, the 18th of September, and the 6th of November, informing him of my having had another son born, whom I had called James. Footnote. Boswell, eleven years later, wrote of him, My second son is an extraordinary boy. He is much of his father, vanity of vanities. He is of a delicate constitution, but not unhealthy, and his spirit never fails him. He is still in the house with me. Indeed, he is quite my companion, though only eleven in September. Mr. Crocker, who knew him, says that he was very convivial, and in other respects, like his father, though altogether on a smaller scale. He edited a new edition of Malone's Shakespeare. He died in 1822. End of footnote. That I had passed some time at Auchinleck, that the Countess of Loden, now in her ninety-ninth year, was as fresh as when he saw her, and remembered him with respect, and that his mother by adoption, the Countess of Eglinton, has said to me, Tell Mr. Johnson I love him exceedingly that i had again suffered much from bad spirits and that as it was very long since i heard from him i was not a little uneasy the continuance of his regard for his friend dr burney appears from the following letters to the reverend dr wheeler oxford footnote regius professor of divinity and canon of christ church 
Johnson wrote in 1783, At home I see almost all my companions, dead or dying. At Oxford I have just left, lost, Wheeler, the man with whom I most delighted to converse. End of footnote. Dear Sir, Dr. Burney, who brings this paper, is engaged in a history of music, and having been told by Dr. Markham of some MSS relating to subject, which are in the library of your college, is desirous to examine them. He is my friend, and therefore I take the liberty of entreating your favor and assistance in his inquiry, and can assure you with great confidence that if you knew him, he would not want any intervenient solicitation to obtain the kindness of one who loves learning and virtue as you love them. I have been flattering myself all the summer with the hope of paying my annual visit to my friends, but something has obstructed me. I still hope not to be long without seeing you. I should be glad of a little literary talk, and glad to show you by the frequency of my visits how eagerly I love it when you talk it. I am, dear sir, your most humble servant, Sam Johnson. London, November 2nd, 1778. To the Reverend Dr. Edwards, Oxford. Footnote. Johnson, in 1784, wrote about a visit to Oxford. Since I was there, my convivial friend Dr. Edwards and my learned friend Dr. Wheeler are both dead, and my probabilities of pleasure are very much diminished. End of footnote. Sir, the bearer, Dr. Burney, has had some account of a Welsh manuscript in the Bodleian Library, from which he hopes to gain some materials for his history of music, but being ignorant of the language is at a loss where to find assistance. I make no doubt but you, sir, can help him through his difficulties, and therefore take the liberty of recommending him to your favor, as I am sure you'll find him a man worthy of every civility that can be shown, and every benefit that can be conferred. But we must not let Welsh drive us from Greek. What comes of Xenophon? If you do not like the trouble of publishing the book, do not let your commentaries be lost. Contrive that they may be published somewhere. I am, sir, your humble servant, Sam Johnson. London, November 2nd, 1778. These letters procured Dr. Burney great kindness and friendly offices from both of these gentlemen, not only on that occasion, but in future visits to the university. Footnote. Johnson wrote on the 14th, Dr. Burney had the luck to go to Oxford the only week in the year when the library is shut up. He was, however, very kindly treated, as one man is translating Arabic and another Welsh for his service. End of footnote. The same year, Dr. Johnson not only wrote to Dr. Joseph Wharton in favor of Dr. Burney's youngest son, who was to be placed in the College of Winchester, but accompanied him when he went thither. Footnote. Johnson, three years later, hearing that one of Dr. Burney's sons had got the command of a ship, wrote, I question if any ship upon the ocean goes out attended with more good wishes than that which carries the fate of Burney. I love all of that breed from whom I can be said to know, and one or two whom I hardly know I love upon credit and love them because they love each other. End of footnote. We surely cannot but admire the benevolent exertions of this great and good man, especially when we consider how grievously he was afflicted with bad health, and how uncomfortable his home was made by the perpetual jarring of those whom he charitably accommodated under his roof. He has sometimes offered me to talk jocularly of his group of females, and call them his seraglio. He thus mentions them, together with Honest Levitt, in one of his letters to Mrs. Thrall. 
Williams hates everybody. Lovett hates Desmolins and does not love Williams. Desmolins hates them both. Paul loves none of them. To James Boswell, Esquire, dear sir, it is indeed a long time since I wrote, and I think you have some reason to complain. However, you must not let small things disturb you when you have such a fine addition to your happiness as a new boy, and I hope your lady's health restored by bringing him. It seems very probable that a little care will now restore her if any remains of her complaints are left. You seem, if I understand your letter, to be gaining ground at Auchinleck, an incident that would give me great delight. When any fit of anxiety or gloominess or perversion of mind lays hold upon you, make it a rule not to publish it by complaints, but exert your whole care to hide it. By endeavouring to hide it, you will drive it away. Be always busy. The club is to meet with the Parliament. We talk of electing banks, the traveller. He'll be a reputable member. Langton has been encamped with his company of militia on Worley Common. I spent five days amongst them. He signalized himself as a diligent officer, and has very high respect in the regiment. He presided when I was there at a court-martial. He is now quartered in Hertfordshire. His lady and little ones are in Scotland. Polly came to the camp and commanded the soldiers. Of myself, I have no great matter to say. My health is not restored, my nights are restless and tedious. The best night that I have had these twenty years was at Fort Augustus. I hope soon to send you a few lines to read. I am, dear sir, your most affectionate, Sam Johnson, November twenty first, seventeen seventy eight. End of section thirty nine.